This morning's Bible reading is taken from Joshua chapter 14, and I'm beginning to read at verse 6. A delegation from the tribe of Judah, led by Caleb, son of Jephuni, the Kenizzite, came to Joshua at Gilgal. Caleb said to Joshua, Remember what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God, about you and me when we were at Kadash Bernia. I was forty years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Bernia to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report. But my brothers, who went with me, frightened the people from entering the Promised Land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day Moses solemnly promised me, The land of Canaan, in which you are just walking, will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well as he promised for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise, even when Israel wandered in the wilderness. Today I am 85 years old. I am as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that as scouts we found that the descendants of Anak living there in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as his portion of the land. And then we turn to Joshua chapter 15. And I'm going to read a little bit, just from verse 13. The Lord commanded Joshua to assign some of Judah's territory to Caleb, son of Jephne. So Caleb was given the town of Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, which had been named after Anak's ancestor. Caleb drove out the three groups of Anakites, the descendants of Shishai, Ahiman, and Talmai, the sons of Anak. From there he went to fight against the people living in the town of Debir, formerly called Kiriath Sefer. Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, the son of Caleb's brother Kenaz, was the one who conquered it. So Akna became Othniel's wife. Amen. Good morning Hamilton Baptist Church, it's lovely to be with you again and to join in on this series in the book of Joshua. Today we're looking at Joshua 14 verse 6 to 15 but also chapter 15 verses 13 to 17 and in fact you'll need your Bibles open because we're zipping all over. Uh, you'll all be familiar with the idea of the no-win, no-fee legal firms that are around these days. They are quite common. You see them advertised on the television. They will make a claim on your behalf, a, a risk-free claim, a claim that won't cost you anything up front. Their legal experts will do all the work for you and then if you win your claim, they'll take their cut and split the results. It's a no win, no fee. Caleb 
is almost the opposite of that. When Caleb comes to claim the mountain of God that is given to him at Horeb, it's almost the opposite. He does it at huge personal risk. He risks his reputation. He risks his life in seeking to have the promise of God fulfilled in this mountain given to him. And there's there's no expectation of others getting there to help him in this process. He's, he's fully committed to doing it, even if he has to do it on his own. And the only helpline that he has to call is the helpline of calling out to God in prayer and asking God to come and to help him. Caleb, who was he? Well, he was... Uh, Kenizzite, not an original Hebrew. He didn't come from the line of Jacob. He came from the line of Esau. So not an original Israelite, but he had been adopted into the tribe of Judah. And he had been adopted into it very early on in the days of the children of Israel because we know that by the time they have left Egypt, have been to Mount Sinai to receive the covenant of God and the Ten Commandments, etc., that by then the Kenizzites were part of Judah because he was one of the spies who was selected to represent the tribe and to go into Canaan and spy out that land. Twelve men chosen from each of the tribes sent by Moses. And they travel for some time in the countryside. They start in the south, they work their way north, and then they come back south again and they cross over and they tell Moses and the people what they have seen. And for Caleb and his friend Joshua, they come back with a message, God can do this. Yes, there are challenges out there. Yes, there are giants out there that we are going to need to conquer. But God can do this. But the other ten spies come back and they talk of the giants. They talk of slaughter. They talk of massacre. They set the people grumbling and mumbling. The jungle tent gossip starts spreading. And before we know it, we have full bone full-blown rebellion against the Lord. God becomes angry with that generation because they refuse to accept his promise, even though he's taken them out of slavery in Egypt. He's crossed the Red Sea with them, even though he's appeared at Mount Sinai in the cloud and in the thunder, even though Moses' face has been shining radiant in the presence of God, all of that has happened. He's provided for them in every way, but they will not trust his promise. And so God is angry against them. And he says, no one from that generation will be allowed to enter into the promised land. No one except Caleb. We find that in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 36. God makes a promise that Caleb will receive land in the promised land. Land that his feet have touched. And that's the land that he's claiming in the passages that we're reading today. And so what happens is the 40-year-old... Uh, sorry, that was my dog barking. The 40-year-old Caleb 
has to wander in the wilderness for another 40 years until he is at the age 80. And then as an 80 year old man, he crosses the river Jordan with the people of Elisha as their leader. They go round Jericho for seven days. The walls come tumbling down. They go to battle. Starting in the south of the country, they move all the way north for five years, taking city after city after city. And at the end of that time, we reach our passages today in Joshua 14 and Joshua 15. He's about to receive his promised inheritance 45 years after the promise has been made. It's a remarkable story of a man's faithfulness, of a man who has travelled with God and with a disobedient people to the point where he sees God fulfil his promises. And this morning's question for us to consider is, what can we learn from Caleb as a person? What was his characteristics and his nature that could mean something for us today? Well, I told you we were going on a Bible adventure and that adventure starts in Psalm 95 and verse 8 to 11. Psalm 95 is a post-exilic psalm. It, it, it's written to encourage the people of God who've come out of Babylon back to Jerusalem to be worshipping this God that they know or are beginning to discover afresh as the true and living God. And the message to them is, do not harden your hearts. Do not harden your hearts as the people of God did when they rejected the promises of God, when Caleb and Joshua brought the good report and the 10 spies brought the bad report. And so the first thing we're learning from this Psalm about Caleb is that he was a person who didn't harden his heart against God. He was willing to listen to God's voice. He was willing to listen and then take God at his word and put it into action. Right at the heart of what it means to be a Baptist church in Scotland, captured in our declaration of principle is that idea that the local church can come together and discern the promises and put them into action. <coughs> if you hear his voice, if when you're listening together as a people of God, you hear the voice of God, do not harden your heart against him. Numbers 13 and Numbers 14, Deuteronomy 1, show us that Caleb was open to the leading of the Spirit of God. Of course, he's not the only person in Scripture who's open to the leading of the Spirit. Think of Simeon. Simeon, who was guided or prompted by the Spirit to go to the temple on the very same day that Jesus was presented there by Mary and Joseph. Could you imagine just for a minute if Simeon had decided to harden his heart against the prompting of that Spirit? If he had just said, well, do you know what? I'm busy today and I, I can feel the Spirit telling me to go to the temple, but there's other things I had planned for today. I'll wait till tomorrow. 
his eyes would never have seen the promised salvation of God. A light for the Gentiles, a hope for his people Israel. His eyes would never have seen him. He would never have held Christ in his hands, but he was prompted by the Spirit and he followed. What about that lesser known character in the New Testament, Agabus? Agabus senses the moving of God's Spirit and he goes to Paul and he brings two really difficult messages to Paul. So, so much so that the people say to Paul, don't go up to Jerusalem, it's only going to end in trouble. But Agabus had been prompted by the Spirit to bring these challenging messages and so he goes and he does it. And Paul hears them and obeys. Is in that same category of someone who heard the leading of the Spirit. And you know, it still happens today. I, I, I was a recipient of the blessing of somebody who was open to that just the other week there. And my mentor phoned me completely out of the blue. We weren't scheduled to meet for about another month. And he just said, Alan, I felt I should call you today. Is there something happening? And there were many things happening, literally in that 48 hours around when he called and ah, his timing was just so, so perfect. When you hear the voice of God, when you hear the Spirit of God speaking to you and calling you, do not harden your heart, the psalm says. Oh, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. Sometimes when we're following that voice of God, there will be difficulties. There will be challenges. There might be a sense of pain or hopelessness or pointlessness. But Caleb did not harden his heart. He moved at the voice of the Spirit and the promise of the Lord. Secondly, he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. We pick that up in the retelling of the story in Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 36. God's agenda became Caleb's agenda and he did not let it go faithfully for 45 years. He longed to see God's promise fulfilled and that land taken for his glory. God's agenda became his agenda. He was wholeheartedly committed to following the ways of God. In Numbers chapter 14 verse 79, uh, Caleb says to the people of God, Yahweh, that's the name of God, Yahweh is with us. And then he says it again, Yahweh is with us. And then he says it one more time, Yahweh is with us. Three times over he promises them, we can go, we can take this land because God is with us. That threefold promise of God, he is with us, he is with us, he is with us. It kind of reminds us of how often the Bible does that. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. So the wind creatures sing in Isaiah and also in the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy 
It's saying God is completely holy. And what uh, Caleb is doing here is he's saying God is completely trustworthy. He is with us. He is with us. He is with us. Psalm 95 says it as well. God is for us. You know, if you're going to put your life on the line, if you're going to go into battle for the Lord, if you are going to fight until you see his victory come through, if you're going to go in front of a crowd of people and put your reputation on the line as Caleb does as he speaks out about going into the promised land, then you better do it wholeheartedly. There's no point in doing it half-heartedly. Half-heartedly is what we call hypocrisy. Where we have one face turning one way and one face turning the other way. Now if you want to claim that mountain then you need to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. I wrote an article many years ago for the United Free Church of Scotland. It was entitled Stop Living for Jesus. It was designed to be provocative. It was their centre page spread that month. Stop living for Jesus. To be honest, I think we need to do it in our Baptist churches. We need to stop living for Jesus. Because stop living for Jesus. Because living for Jesus has become a half-hearted response to the gospel. I live for Jesus, I go to church. I live for Jesus, I have good morals in my life. I live for Jesus, I give my tithe to the church every week, every month. I live for Jesus and we have a whole lot of things of what it means to live for Jesus. I don't read in scripture any time when we're asked to live for Jesus. I read in scripture that we're asked to live like Jesus. And living like Jesus seems a lot different from living for Jesus. Living like Jesus is challenging. I was reading the sermon on the plane in Luke's gospel earlier this week with some Christians. Woe those of you who are rich. That's us. That's a woe to us. Woe to you who are well fed. That's me. I'm well fed. There is danger in being rich. There is danger in being well fed. Live like Jesus. He had no home to call his own. Live like Jesus. He relied on others to supply his needs. Live like Jesus. He lived by faith and trusted God for everything. Live like Jesus. He laid hands on the sick and prayed for them to be healed. He cast out demons when he saw them. Live like Jesus. He fasted for 40 days in the wilderness, never mind giving up chocolate for Lent. Stop living for Jesus and start living like Jesus. Follow him wholeheartedly. Put your life on the line. Put your reputation on the line. Carry your cross. There will be opposition. In fact, if you're not facing opposition, it may be that you're not living wholeheartedly for Christ. We are to give our whole selves over, our whole lives over, not 10%, all of life. 
over to him if we're going to receive and claim that mountain. And then three, thirdly, we see that Caleb lives a life of persistence here in Joshua 14 verse 10 to 12. We're coming into that key passage that we read earlier. Yahweh promised, he says, Yahweh promised me this 45 years ago and I'm going to take it now. I'm going to receive that blessing now. Oh my goodness, can you imagine what's happened in the 45 years since he was 40? As a spy to 85, an old man standing saying to Joshua, I want to claim my inheritance of of this mountain. God promised it to me uh, and I'm going to fight for the mountain. I'm going to take the enemy out. Uh, I, I might be 85, but I'm still vigorous. I'm still ready to fight. I'm still going to be in there. Don't you worry about it. I'll take it. He's got amazing energy for an 85-year-old, doesn't he? He's got great persistence. He's internalized the promise of God. He's made the desires of God's heart, the desires of his own heart, and he's still pursuing them persistently at age 85. And if you read the story of what's actually happened, you realize the persistence is not just hanging in there for 45 years but it's going and then going again at taking these cities because when they took the city of Jericho they then turn south and they take the cities of, of the Beer and Kiriath Sephar its other name they take that city they chase away the giants they get them out but over the next five years as they travel north and take other cities it seems that the giants have come back in and taken back their cities. And so in Joshua 14, when he's, he's, he's being told that he can have this land, he's recognizing, I'm gonna to have to go back to battle again and kick out these three sons, get them out in, other, in, in order for me to then really secure the land for myself and for my family and secure the promises of God. Here is a man of great persistence. He wanted to take the city when he was 40. He got to take the city when he was 80. And then he's having to take it again when he's 85. Well, he's persistent. And then finally, and my favorite part of this whole passage, Joshua 15, verse 13 to to 19, I think he realizes he's maybe not as young as he used to be. I mean, you've got to forgive him at 85. He's not as young as he used to be. Uh, And he goes about taking the city again, that city known as the Beer or Kiriath Safari. He goes about taking it in a slightly different way. He doesn't go rushing into battle himself. He says, I will give my daughter's hand in marriage to the warrior who takes this city for me. And Axa, his daughter, is going to get a husband. Now, we don't know much about Axa, but I tell you what, we know she's a chip off her father's old block. She's a bold woman. And and, uh, she gets off her donkey later in this passage and she tells her father what she needs and she gets what she needs. So she's a bold woman and he needs to find a bold husband for her in the days of arranged marriages. And so he, he sets the challenge 
And Othniel, who is his nephew, uh, goes off to war and Othniel takes the city. And in taking the city also receives Aksa as his bride. And my main point here, my final point, is that in doing all of this, Caleb secures the mountain and the surrounding area for the next generation. He not only secures it for himself, he not only secures that promise of God for himself, but he secures it for generations to come. And he passes on the inheritance of the land to his daughter and to Othniel. And then he passes on the springs of living water that make that desert and dry land beautiful and bountiful. And in time, Othniel will become a judge in Israel and he will travel from the south to the north and he will defend the people of Israel in the north. Caleb has found a man who has faith like himself. Someone who is not afraid of the three giants. Someone who is willing to trust in the word of God. Someone who is willing to take the promise that God gave to, to, to Caleb way back 45 years earlier and trust that God will see them through. Caleb has found someone who is willing to go into battle. Someone who will struggle. Someone who will go up against the opposition and see God's promises come true. This is the story of Caleb. This is the story of how he waited patiently for the promises of God to be fulfilled. What about us? How do we best use the promises that we have received? What did we do with what God has said to us? How are we investing his promises in his mission, in his kingdom? How are we joining in what God has said he will do and what God is already doing? If you hear the voice of God, one, do not harden your heart to his spirit. Sometimes God tells us things that he's going to do that are a bit out of the, un the, the, the normal. They're a bit unusual. They're a real challenge. Don't harden your heart when the spirit speaks to you. Be open to his voice. Every time you come to the word of God, every time you meet as a community to listen to what God is saying, be open to what the Spirit is saying. Carefully listen for his still, small voice. And when you hear it, offer yourself wholeheartedly to it. Make promises to follow through with it. Make it public so that people will hold you accountable to it. And don't let go. Be persistent. Be persistent in prayer. Some of us have family who are not yet walking with the Lord or who have walked away. Be persistent praying for them till you see that mountain. That promise of the Lord come true as they come back to faith. Some of us have been told about ministries we will have that are not yet fulfilled. Hold on to them with persistence. Trust that God will bring the promises that he, he gave to us to fulfillment. But when you see things come to fulfillment, make sure you secure them not just for yourself, 
but for the wider community and for future generations. Here is another wonderful example in the Old Testament of wise succession planning. How do you claim your mountain? You claim it with everything that you have and everything that you are laid before the Lord God Almighty because as Caleb says he can do it. Amen.